You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a long way to Tipperary. It's a long way to go. It's a long way to Tipperary. To the sweetest girl I know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Great War, episode 75, our 13th and last on the Battle of Verdun. This week, I would like to thank Gary and Richard for supporting the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash history of the great war, and ask that everybody, if they have a few spare moments, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or whatever they're listening to this podcast on, if you can leave reviews there. A few weeks ago, I said the show would be available on the Google Play Podcast app, and while there were a few technical difficulties in making that happen, which involved a lot of discussion with Google support, I believe that it is now available. So if you are listening on that platform, hello. Just like Verdun has been a long journey for us, it was also an incredibly long ordeal for the French and German armies. What had started as an attempt by Falkenhayn to draw in the French army had drawn in the German army as well. It had lasted from February the 21st, 1916, until basically the end of that year, although there's not really a set date for when the battle was over. This episode will just be a general discussion about the failure on both sides, both German and French. Falkenhayn had failed in his attempt to beat the French army, whether it was an attempt to bleed it white, as he says in his memoirs, or if he was actually trying to take for done, it doesn't really matter because he failed at both. The French army had, I guess, been successful in their defense of Verdun, but at such great cost. After talking some numbers, we will then move on to discuss just a bit about why and how Verdun has played a role in French and German societies over the last 100 years. And then, roughly 18 minutes from now, our story of Verdun will be over, and we will finally move our story off the banks of the Meuse. Before we move on to the whys and hows, I think it's important to first talk some just straight-up concrete numbers. The number of casualties on both sides is staggering. After the war, Verdun, for a time, got the reputation of being the most costly battle of the entire war. And while it's not strictly true, in fact, the first few months of the war, the Battle of the Frontiers, had cost far more men with over 1.5 million casualties. Verdun would get this reputation, though, because of the, because of the vast scale of suffering on such a small geographical area. 
The one area that Verdun is pretty high up, and maybe at the top, is the highest percentage of casualties when compared to the number of men involved. The actual numbers seem to vary a bit, depending on who you listen to. The official figures for the French are just a hair over 375,000 casualties, and the Germans right around 337,000 casualties. Many historians that I have read think that this number is undershooting it quite a bit on both sides, and generally thinks that the numbers are maybe closer to 50,000 more on both sides, so something like 425,000 and 385,000. Regardless of the exact number, it's a staggering sum. It is important to remember that this huge number was spread over 10 months of fighting. With such a long time span, the daily wastage rate was pretty small when compared with shorter and more intense battles. One fact that I found to be interesting with regards to casualties was that I expected French casualties to be the highest in February and March while they were struggling to hold off the German attack, and this was correct. What I did not expect was that on the German side, February was not even close to the most costly month for the army. In fact, it would not even be in the top five. Instead, German casualties would slowly rise month over month from February to June before dropping off at that point. Both sides seem to have dropped off after June when the fighting began to spread out in time and other fronts started to rob both armies of the reinforcements that had previously flowed in almost unabated. One fact that Paul Jankowski points out in Verdun the Longest Battle is that unlike many other battles during the war, where the attackers suffered far higher casualty rates than the defenders, at Verdun there was no real correlation. One possible reason for this was that the concentration of artillery and the role that it played in the attacks made made the difference far less, and at times swung it the other way, so the defenders were actually suffering more than the attackers. Unfortunately for the Germans, Verdun would be just one of the very costly battles of 1916 for them, just one piece of a very hard year. You cannot talk about Verdun without talking about Falkenhayn and the German motives for the attack. If their goal was to cause a huge number of French casualties, they had succeeded. There was just one problem, the number of German casualties that were caused as a result. What had started as a limited offensive had turned into the primary point of effort for the German army throughout the spring of 1916. When you look at the straight-up numbers, as I mentioned before, they caused more French casualties than they suffered. If If you look at a map, you can see that while their gains were greatly reduced from their July high point, they still held on to more ground than they had started the battle with. By the classical definition of victory, the Germans had won. But at the time, and in the years after the war, and now, the fact that Verdun was an abject failure for the German army cannot be escaped, and I think it's even difficult to debate. After the massive casualties from the battle, the German army would never be the same again. Every one of those men was more precious than their French counterparts, because the German army had far greater obligations to fulfill during the war, and soon they would not be able to replace all of those men. Those casualties were just heightened in cost when the actions of 1916 got started on other fronts. The Somme and the Brusilov attacks in the east both showcased a German army that was stretched to the breaking point by the number of men that had been sacrificed at Verdun. While it is true that neither of those battles was a great strategic loss for the Germans, that was due more to the inability of the Allies to carry forward an attack. No matter what the goal of Verdun was, for Falkenhayn and for the other German leaders, there is one fact that cannot be denied, 
It was a great waste of the prime of the German army, and these men would be sorely missed in the next two years of the war. Hey everyone, I'm a busy person. Kids, job, a podcast you may have heard of, and because I'm so busy sometimes I just do not want to cook. And that's why I'm here to talk to you about Factor. They are America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I can tell you about how awesome the creamy pesto pork chop is, or how delicious the turkey chili and zucchini was, but everything I've tried from Factor tastes great. I think the part that surprised me the most is that after I ate them, I felt satisfied. I don't know of too many things that are ready in two minutes that leave me feeling great like Factor does. Factor has 34 plus delicious menu options that make my life easier and honestly healthier. And really, I need both of those things. So head over to factormeals.com GW50 and use code GW50 to get 50% off. That's code GW50 at factormeals.com GW50 to get 50% off. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. For the French, Verdun had gone down as a victory. After all the failures of 1915, they finally had a victory. Sure, it had cost them more men, but they had held the line at Verdun, and they had recaptured most of the ground on the battlefield. Now, there were many ramifications of the fighting for the French, and they were both positive and negative. Because at Verdun, you saw the rise to prominence of a few very important players in French history the most important of which was Patan, who had made his name for himself earlier in the war, but would forever be linked to the fighting at Verdun. His ability to rally the French soldiers and give them the opportunity to hold the line against the German onslaught would mean that he was brought into play at a later date in a later war, when it was hoped that he would be able to do the same. Another player was General Neville, who came in later as the tide was turning, but would also be an important leader in the next year of the war. His mindset of constantly attacking, even more fanatical than Joffre's, was going to have horrible consequences. Throughout both the defending and attacking phase of Verdun, there were long-lasting scars put upon the French army that would not soon heal. Near the end of the battle, there was known to be some subtle protest by the French soldiers on their way up to the line, as a way of showing their discontent at the state of the war. The Poilu had been taxed, about as far as they could be. They would never fully refuse to move into the line, to guard against further German attacks. But their desire to continue fruitless attacks was wearing thin, a fact that would become extremely apparent after the spring offensives of 1917, which would finally push them over the edge and into full mutiny. On both sides, the Battle of Verdun would hold a special place in society for very different reasons, although there would be some commonalities on both sides. This is uh, Paul Jankowski again, quote, In both France and Germany, the myth of martyrdom, of human ramparts here and a material superior foe there, enjoyed an almost preternatural longevity. 
End quote. On the German side, the analysts after the war would point to the mistake of Verdun. They would point to the heroes that were the common soldiers that were thrown into the meat grinder by their incompetent German leaders. It was the generals and their commanders that were at fault, not the men at the front. This type of anger would be directed by political parties after the war through a lens of a society that had just lost the greatest total war in the history of the world. Eventually, when the Nazi party would get into the game, although later than others, trying to show that the heroism of the common soldier on the battlefields of the First World War was just portraying the national socialistic ideas before it was cool. There would be no shortage of study of Verdun by the German military theorists of the 30s and 40s, and they would draw on it and other actions to create their tactics for the next war. One thing that you see on the German side, in more than a few soldiers' letters, and then in evaluations after the Second World War, was drawing connections between Verdun and Stalingrad. Both of them were horrific battles of attrition, with the German army trying to push through a determined foe who was defending a very important geographical and political location. And most importantly, both of them ended in German defeat. While there are many differences between the two, it does make for a rather convenient point of discussion when trying to criticize the actions of the German army during both wars. And in fact, you could even make the argument that on both battlefields, Verdun and Stalingrad, the German army would lose their respective wars. On the French side, Verdun was of course extremely important, thanks in part to the number of French soldiers who fought there. There were also some interesting lessons that sort of got embedded in the French military DNA from their defense at Verdun. It showed that it Determined defense, with proper preparations, could withstand a seemingly insurmountable attack. This was the linchpin of all of the analysis after the war, and it led in some ways to the creation of the Maginot Line. I've read some pretty interesting analysis where people try to draw even more conclusions between the action at Verdun and later French military adventures. This is based on the idea that the French soldier was almost fatalistic in their ability to go to the front line and protect this hill over here, no matter what the cost, no matter what happens, because it's what the French soldiers did. That was what the soldiers did at Verdun, and that's what they did now. So if you think that Verdun affected the French army in that way, it's really easy to start drawing connections to other actions in other wars, with the French disaster at Dien Bien Phu in Vietnam being the most popular one. I'm not an expert on that battle, but with its protracted siege where the French had opportunities to withdraw and chose not to, I can see how, on the surface at least, connections could be made. For the French soldiers both before and after the battle, the fighting at Verdun was a badge of honor. The rotation system put in place by Patan meant that so many men would fight there, and they would come together after the war for many years in remembrance of the men who did not survive, and later they would build monuments to the fallen that can be seen today. The monuments around Verdun were not the only lasting physical legacy of Verdun. Many battlefields from the First World War still show the scars of the actions of a century ago, but Verdun may be one of the worst. After the war, the areas around Verdun that had seen the heaviest of the fighting were simply abandoned for several years. Much of what had been farmland was never reused. Over the years, these barren landscapes, full of shell holes, started slowly to fill with vegetation. At first, it was mostly just a thick set of shrubbery, 
even where there were wooded areas before the war. It would take until the 1920s before French veterans groups began to push the French government to do something about the battlefields, anything. And the groups were quite powerful after the war. There was a serious effort in many areas to try and clean up the battlefield, remove some of the debris, and properly bury any found remains. This was done for large portions of the battlefield, but some areas were thought to be unsalvageable and were labeled as Zone Rouge or Zone Red, and they were considered too damaged to do anything with. Some of these Zone Rouge areas are still present today. Because of all of these factors, it would remain one of the most unaltered battlefields of the war, and today you can still see areas that seem touched only by the slow decay of time. There is a case that can be made that Verdun was the most important battle of the entire war. And I hope over the last five hours of this podcast, I've been able to convey some of that importance. The struggles of the men on all sides as they fought on the banks of the Meuse throughout 1916 was not greatly different than what was experienced on other battlefields and on other fronts, but it was at a level of intensity seldom seen and difficult to understand. If you wish to read more about Verdun, I highly recommend The Price of Glory by Alistair Horne and Verdun the Longest Battle by Paul Jankowski. Their work has been fundamental in improving both my understanding of the events and for providing information for these episodes. So here we are, here at the end of our three-month journey through the fighting of Verdun. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will join me next episode as we take our study off the battlefields of the Western Front and once again onto the high seas as the greatest battleship clash in history is about to occur on the foggy waters of the North Sea.